Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. I'll say this, that uh, recently my family uh, has been rediscovering the value of letters. Uh, delivery is a little slow, but it is one means of two-way communication that is allowed by both branches of the military uh, that my sons have joined in this last month. And, and uh, we just got letters from each of them this last week, and they're both doing fine. Um, letters were really the means of long-distance communication in, in biblical times. And thus, in our Bibles, we have 13 letters of the Apostle Paul, uh, written, four of them to individuals and, and nine others to, to different churches that he helped to start. And, and uh, he wrote those letters to churches as words of exhortation and encouragement, and many of you are aware of that. But did you know that our Bibles also contain some letters to churches that are from Jesus? Chapters 2 and 3 in Revelation contain letters from Jesus to seven churches that were scattered um, across Asia Minor, or what we know today as a western part of the nation of Turkey. And so there's locations in, in that um, part of the country. And, and I, I don't really know um, how several of those seven churches were started. Uh, I do know that the Apostle Paul, on his third missionary journey, traveled to one of them, to Ephesus, down in the lower left there, and um, spent two full years there. And it's likely that God's word spread out then from there to some of those other cities. And years later, the beloved disciple of Jesus, John, served as a pastor at Ephesus and likely then also influenced some of those other congregations in the area and had ongoing concern for them. And when Roman persecution against Christianity became really strong, John was exiled to this island of Patmos, And while he was there, he was given this vision from Jesus himself, which is recorded in our Bibles in the book of Revelation. And part of that vision from Jesus then was these letters to those seven locations, those seven churches in Asia Minor. And the letters then are addressed to specific congregations in that first century Christian church. But they are also quite relevant to churches in America today. And we're going to look at a couple of them in the next weeks. Today, looking at Philadelphia, and, and next week at the church at Smyrna. And uh, as you have been reminded here, you have the hymn books and Bibles back in the pews, and so um, you won't have the text in your bulletin. It will be on the screen briefly here. Um, but there is an outline in your bulletin. I encourage you to follow along as, as we look into God's Word together today and look at Revelation chapter 3. Would you stand in reverence to God's Word now as we read? Beginning at verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have followed my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, 
I will make them come and bow down before your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which will come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold firmly to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. The one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. The one who has ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, let him hear. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word. And we pray that as we meditate on it, that you would speak to each of our hearts, that you would remind us um, of, of what we have as we're a part of a fellowship of believers, even here. And Lord, that you would encourage us and that you would uh, yeah, exhort us uh, to be about your business and, and to open our doors that, that more would, would hear your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So just where was this church that John refers to in these verses? Uh, Well, the city of Philadelphia stood at an important junction on a trade route that ran from Rome through Troas and Pergamum and Sardis, so some of those other cities mentioned here in Revelation, and and then to Tarsus and on further to the east. And, And it was a prosperous area that was known for many vineyards and also for its textile industry. And it was a city also known for many temples and, and religious festivals, and especially known for then the worship of the pagan god Dionysus. Judaism was also um, a religion that had come to Philadelphia, and there apparently was a Jewish synagogue there. You, you might think of the name of Philadelphia, and you think of our city in, in uh, Pennsylvania, um, sometimes called also then the city of brotherly love. And there is a story behind that nickname that you probably don't know, at least I didn't know it. Um, The story was of two brothers, Eumenes and Attalus. Eumenes was the king of Pergamum. And when he was away in Greece, rumor went around that he had been assassinated. And so his brother Attalus was crowned the king. However, when Eumenes, who really wasn't dead, came back from Greece, then Attalus willingly relinquished his crown, even though he had been encouraged by others to overthrow his brother and stay the king. And and thus then this city was named that Philadelphia, which literally means the city of brotherly love. Well, the church at Philadelphia, I, I don't know the details of the beginning of this congregation, but I do know that over time it became an important center in the early church in, in the Christian and Byzantine periods, and it remained significant for centuries, though now today there is little left of it but some impressive ruins of an earlier church building. Take a look at those. Those are pillars that held up that building, and uh, so it had to have been quite large. Well, Jesus' letter to the church at Philadelphia begins with the words to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write. And the word translated angel literally Um, means messenger, and so possibly each letter then was written to the pastor or church leader at each location, but to be shared then with the whole congregation. And and a typical pattern of letter writing back then was to mention up front both who was being written to 
and who the letter was from. And so we see that here in this text as well. And uh, we see that Jesus is, is the author or a speaker of this letter, and he identifies himself up front. Um, in verse 7 it says about him then, he who is holy, who is true. And those statements then set the speaker apart from anyone else. No other man or woman ever to walk the face of the earth can say this about themselves um, with an absolute clear conscience. He who is holy, who is true. But Jesus identifies himself as the Holy One. The one who is completely holy and pure and, and with no trace of sin in him. The Holy One and also the true one, the one who, is, who is, uh, has never told even a slight lie, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, that's who's addressing the church here at Philadelphia and who addresses our church today as well. And he also says about himself that he is the one then who has the key of David. Now you know that keys are to open locked doors. And King David then would have had the key, you might say, to the palace at Jerusalem. And, and so here Jesus is saying about himself that he has the key of David to open a door to the new Jerusalem, that is to heaven. And, and so if you want to get there someday, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to be allowed to enter there, you have to know the guy who has the key. And, and that's the one who is speaking here. Amounts in his commentary about this says then about Jesus that um, he is the one having undisputed authority to admit or to exclude from the new Jerusalem. And that's what Jesus is saying about himself here then. He's the one who has the keys to open doors and uh, it says then who opens and no one can shut and who shuts and no one opens. He has complete authority over some doors. Well what doors? Uh, I know of uh, three types of, of doors that are mentioned in scripture. Um, maybe there's more, but first of all, I think of physical doors. Uh, doors to a building like our church building doors here. Doors that had to be open in order for you to get into the building today. It tells us about an example, for instance, in Mark chapter 2, where Jesus was at Capernaum, yeah, at Simon Peter's house, and there was a crowd that was just packing out this house, and it says there were many gathered there together, so, so there was no longer space, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And, and then it tells us about some friends of a paralytic who wanted him to see Jesus, figured out a way to get in, and they had to go up on top of the roof and let him down through the roof. And you remember that story. Well, that reminds us of the, the value of doors and, and physical doors now. A, a second example I see in Scripture is spiritual doors, um, the door to the kingdom of God or to heaven. And we read about that in the Gospel text today here where Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he'll be saved. He'll go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is saying then that he is the door. He's the entrance point into the kingdom of heaven. And, and a third example of door talked about in Scripture is, is a door for the word of God. When the Holy Spirit opens the hearts of people in a given area. And uh, for instance, in Colossians chapter 4, um, Paul writes about this and he's asking the people of Colossae to pray for him. And he said, praying at the same time for us as well that, that God will open up to us a door for the word. 
so we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I've been imprisoned. Now, all three of those kinds of doors are, are relevant to us here at Maranatha today as well. And Jesus is concerned about all three of them. He is the one, then, who would tell us, open your physical doors to this building and encourage people to come in here to hear God's word that's proclaimed here. He's the one who is still the only way to get into heaven. All people must go through him. They must come to believe that they're sinners and that he is the only way of forgiveness of sin and an eternal life for them. And Jesus is also the one who then is able to open up a door for the word of God so that it penetrates people's hearts in any given place and they come to believe in him as their savior and are saved. That in mind, then we go on here and looking at the text here, we want to look at the message that, that Jesus gives to the church at Philadelphia, and I think it fits um, very well for our congregation as well. And his message is then, I know your deeds. Jesus sees it all. He sees what's going on in a congregation. And he says about the church at Philadelphia then, I know, I know that you have a little power. A little power, some power, that, that's better than none, but it's not a lot. But he says, you have a little power. I know that you have kept my word, and, and you've taken seriously what I have said, and, and haven't tried to change it. And I know that you have not denied my name, the only name by which any can be saved. You know, I think those statements fit well with what I see in this congregation here at Miranatha as well. And I am so thankful for the fellowship of believers that make up this congregation. You have kept his word. When many churches and pastors in our nation have, have drifted away into higher criticism of Scripture and no longer believe the Bible to be inerrant, you couldn't go there. And so over 33 years ago, some of you, and a generation that was before many of us, made that tough decision to leave a congregation and and that was drifting and, and to start or to uh, stand on God's word and start a new congregation. And, and you have remained true to those convictions and, and you've encouraged your pastors to stand on the inerrant word of God and to preach it no matter who it offends. You have also not denied Jesus' name. Even though many churches around you would accept the perspective that there are many ways to God. You've not caved to that. Instead, you continue to believe in and proclaim the name of Jesus as the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. And you have a little power. And I believe that there is spiritual power for our individual lives that comes from gathering together as believers like we are today around God's holy word. And when many churches around us have decided to remain closed out of extreme caution in this last year, you as a congregation have said, we've got to meet. Scripture tells us not to neglect assembling together, but to encourage each other all the more as we see the day of Christ's return coming closer. And I believe that our spiritual lives have been strengthened as we have come together in worship of our Lord and Savior here. Well, Jesus' word to the church at Philadelphia was, that due to those things, he said, I've put before you an open door, which no one can shut. What is that open door? Well, for the Church of Philadelphia and for us, I think that open door is both that spiritual door to heaven that we find through the Word of God is Jesus Christ, and also the missional door to an area where the Word of God then will find receptive hearts. And as we 
continue then to proclaim the law that points out our sins and the serious consequences that come with it, and also proclaim the gospel of forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ, there will be people then that find new life, find eternal life. And I also trust that Lord Jesus will open up to us then new avenues, new ways to share God's word and new places that can be reached with the gospel of hope that is in Jesus Christ. And, and we've seen some of that even in this last year as, as we ended up then developing live streaming of our worship services. And on an average week, as I understand from what we see online, then there are about 60 households where someone's accessing online our services. And now a few times a year, just recently, we have the opportunity to also have our services recorded here and, and then played um, at the Clay County Jail. Cass County Jail, excuse me. I also just want to pause here for a bit and tell you about a, a different church uh, it's been in the news in the last couple weeks and maybe some of you have heard about it. Up in Alberta, Canada, um, they've had more severe restrictions um, on public meetings in, in their churches and, and it's been limited to 15% capacity. Pastor James Coates is a pastor of Grace Life Church up there in Edmonton, Alberta, and, and the leadership of that congregation refused to turn people away when they reached that 15% capacity. They invited to come in anyway, and they didn't require the congregation to wear masks. And so officials fined Pastor Coates, and they also put a notice on the outside of the church door that the church was going to be closed until further notice. Well, they still had the keys to the church and still went in and it had services they continued to meet. And, and by the way, there haven't been any incidents of spread of the coronavirus in that congregation in, and in, in any of the time in the past here. And on February 14th, then, Pastor Coates preached a sermon uh, from Romans chapter 13. And it was on the role then of, of government and the role of Christians when government forbids something that God commands. And Pastor Coates is now in a maximum security prison. And he stays there because he cannot in good conscience uh, comply with bail conditions which are, that would require him to stop preaching and to keep his church door closed to such public gatherings. And these days, as a result, there are hundreds of people peacefully demonstrating outside the prison daily. <clears throat> and at an outside rally one day, Pastor Coates' wife spoke and, and she said, you know, people are asking us, what can we do to help your family? And she answered with this. She said, open your church doors. Amen. And she's encouraging other congregations, other churches in Canada to be bold and to open their churches to public worship again. Well, as I said before, I am so thankful to be serving a church that's open. And I have been convicted, though, this past week, we need to open our doors wider. We need to be inviting people to come. And I need to be honest with you and tell you, you know, in, in a way, I, as I look back on past months, I've thought to myself, you know, we've we got a good thing going here. Uh, let, let's continue to be kind of quiet about this here so we don't mess something up. Um, let's just meet each week as we are, enjoy the security of our fellowship here. You know, new, new, peeping, new uh, people coming might... Uh, see some things different on how we're dealing with COVID concerns, or, or we might get more people than we have room for with the every other pew arrangement we have right now, and then what? Well, I've changed my mind. 
I think I need to repent of that attitude. There are all kinds of people out there that are hurting these days who, who need to hear the message of hope in Jesus Christ in the midst of these fearful days that we live in. And, and there are Christians out there that are starving for the kind of fellowship that we enjoy here every week. And so I invite them to come. And if we fill up, we can have more services. I want to get back to our text and to Jesus' message to the church at Philadelphia here. And he goes on to say this. <coughs> I will cause those liars of the, of the synagogue of Satan to do two things. Well, who are these liars of the synagogue of Satan? That sounds intriguing. Well, as I mentioned earlier, in, in, there was this Jewish synagogue in Philadelphia, and it seems that at some point some of the Jewish folks that were attending there um, became believers in Jesus Christ as their Savior and as, as the Messiah that the Old Testament prophets had predicted would come someday. And, and there were some other Jews, though, that were the ones in charge of the synagogue who, who didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. And, and they had the believers in Jesus and excommunicated, kicked out of the synagogue. The doors were closed to them. And, and so now maybe you understand a little more of what Jesus is saying here about how he's the one who really has the keys to heaven and opens doors. It's not these false Jews. But Jesus says here, one day the roles are going to be reversed. And they will come. And they will bow down at your feet. And they will know that I have loved you. They'll know the truth. And Jesus also says then to the believers at Philadelphia... I will keep you from the hour of testing because you have patiently endured. And I'm not sure here just which hour of testing for the Philadelphians Jesus is referring to here. I've sometimes associated this verse with the, the great tribulation um, since it mentions that it's an hour that's going to come on the, the whole world. But, and I, I guess I, I would like to believe that uh, God will let all Christians escape that great tri tribulation. That's a pre-tribulation perspective on the end times. But I'm not so sure that that will be the case. I can't tell you for sure. But I do know this, that Jesus has said in his word that in this world you will have tribulation. But fear not, for I have overcome the world. As we think about Pastor James Coates and his congregation, they haven't escaped an hour of testing. It's now upon them. And he's still in jail because he won't agree to keep his church doors closed and to stop preaching. His last sermon before he was arrested is available um, to be watched on YouTube. It's about an hour long. And he powerfully declares God's word from Romans 13. And, and uh, in it he mentions three situations in which civil disobedience becomes necessary for Christians. One of them, he says, is when government forbids what God commands. Two is when government commands what God forbids. And three is when government commands what isn't theirs to command. And he asks this question. He says, does your government know that they're accountable to God? Whose role is it to inform them they're, in, they're accountable to God? And he goes on to say, it's our role as a church to educate the government to their God-given role, which is to protect God-given rights of their citizens. Got me thinking. If we don't tell them, who will? And I, so I did write a letter 
to my governor this week about some things I have concerns about, and I, I also do plan to contact our U.S. representatives um, soon and, and to address some issues that are now in front of, um, actually it will be going to the Senate, um, H.R. 5, that's this so-called Equality Act. It, it is an attempt to make into federal law some things that are absolutely contrary to biblical perspective of what's right and wrong. And if we don't, as Christians, speak out on these things, who will? Well, this letter from Jesus to the Church of Philadelphia ends with some encouragements for us as well. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly, and so hold fast onto what you have. Hang on to your faith in Jesus, no matter what comes along in your life. He'll be faithful to you all the way to the end. And I don't know just when Jesus is going to return, but I do know that it's nearer now than it ever was before, and, and I do know that when he returns, it'll, it'll happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And, and so there's a need then for things to be right with God in our hearts here and now, and, and to be ready for Christ's return whenever that will be, or whenever our life on this earth will end. He also encourages them with this, I will make overcomers a pillar in the temple of my God. And maybe it helps to understand about Philadelphia that just a few years before this letter would have been written then, there was a devastating earthquake that happened in that area. And beautiful buildings that had impressive pillars came crashing down as a result of that earthquake. And then after that, overcomers rebuilt that city. But they knew that it could happen again. And what, however, what Jesus is saying here is that those that overcome the trials of this life will be rewarded with permanent dwellings in heaven where no earthquake or any other thing can destroy it. And so hang in there then in your temptations and your trials in life because overcomers who continue to trust in Jesus to the end will one day find a secure dwelling in heaven. And then he also says this, I will write upon them then the name of my God um, or God's stamp of ownership on them. You belong to him. And I'll write upon them the name of the city of my God. That is your citizens in his kingdom, in the new Jerusalem. And I'll write upon them my new name. You're given the name of Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. And then it ends with this. Reminding us of who the audience is that he's wanting to hear this. He says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. So I look around, as far as I can tell, all of you have ears. Why do you think God gave them to you? It's so that you would hear. And especially so that you would hear the word of God. And you would respond in your heart in repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ throughout your life. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this, your word to us. And, and we thank you for the encouragements that you gave to the church at Philadelphia that was willing to take a stand, hold true to your word, and, and trust in Jesus as the only name under heaven by which people can be saved. And Lord, we thank you that you have helped us to hold that perspective as well and to continue to proclaim that to others around us. And, and Lord, we recognize that you are the one that is able to open doors and you opened the door of the kingdom of heaven that we could enter and find forgiveness of sin and eternal life in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that that door is open for all who will hear your word. 
And we pray, Lord, that you would make us aware of those around us that need to hear that word. And whether we share it with them personally or we invite them to come where they can hear it or, or watch online or whatever it would be, Lord, we pray that uh, your word would go forth and, and that you would give us an open door for that word to, to reach more. And, and Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be willing to be bold and, and to stand on your word no matter what uh, trials or difficulties might come along or what restrictions there might be placed. Lord, help us to follow what you would want in, in all things. And, and we do pray for our nation, Lord. We pray for those in leadership of our land as they uh, have challenging things come before them to sort out and, and pressures from all sides. Lord, we pray that you would work in the consciences of our, our leaders, that they would uh, they recognize they're answerable to you and they would look to you uh, for, for wisdom in how to respond to these situations. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to encourage each one of us to, to live hanging on to the faith in Jesus, no matter what we're going through in our individual lives as well. Uh, we ask your blessing and your encouragement uh, to each one hearing today. In Jesus' name, amen.